What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Kayvon. Kayvon is the founder of the crypto creator platform, Foundation. Foundation is a place for artists, animators, and creatives of all types to tokenize their work and a marketplace where collectors can see a curated selection of amazing NFTs. It was a pleasure to have Kayvon come on the podcast because we've been friends for over half a year, which as you know in crypto terms is actually like seven years or something. Our conversations are always inspiring and I always manage to feel like I've learned something after our chats. Kayvon is building something really special with Foundation and truly believes that we are in the midst of a creative revolution. Foundation has already been crushing it, but they have a lot of exciting new stuff coming this year. So I suggest everyone stay tuned. Please enjoy my conversation with Kayvon. Before diving into today's episode, I want to briefly chat about our sponsor, Avagachi. Avagachis are on-chain collectible ghosts staked with Aave's interest-generating A-tokens. What can you do with your Avagachi? A whole lot, like compete against other players, earn XP, level up, and even increase the rarity of your Avagachi. The coolest part about Avagachi is the fact that the project is governed by the Avagachi DAO and their native token called GHST, or just Ghost. The project just went live January 4th, so check them out today at avagachi.com. Now let's jump back into the episode. Kayvon, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Andrew, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I think people should know you and I have been kind of DMing back and forth for many, many months now. So this is many, many, many months in the making. Um, but about me and my background, um, I'll go back, I'll go back, I'll, I'll make this as abbreviated as possible, but I think it's fun to see like a full arc. Um, I would go back to graduating um, from college. I went and moved to New York. I graduated in 2008, so right into the financial crisis, and I went into, into New York, into the belly of the beast. Um, I worked for McKinsey as a consultant um, and and really saw Wall Street kind of tumble and crumble as we all know in the in the history books and and it was kind of just this really eye-opening moment because i really went into that job into that context thinking wow like you know i think the the phrase back then was like masters of the universe um and and it really was anything but going on when i got there and and i actually quickly was like i need to get out because this is not a place for someone wanting to start their career or, or kind of um build something new or or or, you know, I think, you know, when we graduate college, we're all very optimistic. And so I quickly kind of found that, you know, I wanted to move to California and, and didn't really stick around that long in New York during that phase. Um, did move to California, moved with a suitcase, you know, really just kind of was like, this needs something new, you know. Ended up getting a job at Google, worked there for almost five years. That chapter was just like the the opposite of my chapter in New York, where you know Google just became this amazing um, education, right? And really helping me see how computer science and the internet and websites, you know, like the impact that they can have. Um, and the business was just phenomenal, and it was just this really really incredible chapter that really inspired me to I think you know become become a technologist or or really focus my career on technology. Um, but by, by kind of the, after five years at Google, you know, it became clear to me that, um, the company was, was going to continue to grow, but that also meant, you know, I think less entrepreneurial opportunity. 
And so I kind of got the startup bug. I think YC was at its peak kind of during that time. This is like 2015. Um, and ended up joining a, a small startup in Brooklyn called Universe. And we ended up, you know, the inspiration there was HyperCard for your phone. Um, for some of the listeners that might know about that piece of software. But we ended up uh, kind of becoming a website builder. That was what people really wanted. And, and I think what, what happened there was I loved the, I loved the startup context and the, the kind of like small team building something, you know, ambitious. And, and the problem I ran into, though, was just the app store was, was just deluged with apps by that point. You know, it was 2015. I was there from like kind of 2015 to 2016. And, and there were just millions of apps in the app store. And I realized, you know, I was searching for, for a frontier. That's where I wanted to be. And, you know, Google, when I joined, the web was certainly conquered and kind of established. You know, by the time I was building mobile apps in 2015, you know, the, the, the app store was already pretty, pretty deluged. And, and at, at that time, I actually, that's when I, when I bumped into Ethereum. And, and that's when I realized, wow, this is like the new, this is a new frontier, right? And this is a new very, very unexplored, very unestablished technology, and I wanted to be part of it. And once I kind of started hacking on Solidity, it was like, just kind of never, it never stopped, right? And then um, the ICO boom took off, and I found myself at, at wanting to find somewhere that wasn't really throwing an ICO out there. It seemed a little <laughs> over the top, and, and I think that was a good intuition. And I ended up connecting with Adav at Dharma, and building out, you know, real, real infrastructure, real code, building real product in the space and, and, you know, Maker and Compound and DYDX and, you know, all sorts of projects kind of came out of that phase. And then, you know, the beginning of this year, I realized like my, my, my I really wanted to bring culture and the creative class and the creative economy onto this new technology and figure out interesting ways to make that happen. And that's really been my focus since the beginning of this year. And so that's, that's kind of the, the trajectory I've been on. That's amazing. Okay. So yeah, you mentioned that you graduated right in 2008, like at the height of the financial crisis and you moved to New York city. So that must've just been wild. So did that experience like seeing, you know, everything that was going on there and kind of the, the essentially the downfall of the traditional financial system or like the, or like the weakness of it, is, did that have a meaningful impact on you and, and your attraction to crypto? Or was it like totally unrelated? You're like, oh, crypto's really cool tech. Like, I love it. It's awesome. Or was it like, okay, I, you know, I was there during 2008. We, I know we need this stuff. Like, how, how were you initially attracted to crypto? All right. So absolutely. Like, the, the extent to which you can see the emperor with no clothes in 2008 just made it very obvious when, you know, Ethereum came around, like there's so many ways to poke holes in it. It's such a nascent technology, such, you know, challenging UX barriers, but when you really understand what it offers, um, and, and you really do grok that you, like, it was immediately obvious to me that it would be, it would kind of like usurp a lot of what, what happens in the traditional finance system. It would just take the, you know, you just need to follow like a technology adoption cycle. And so 100%, you know, my perspective that I learned from, from 2008 were like trust and, and these kind of like fundamental building blocks that you took for granted, like the extent to which they just crumbled in that phase or in that period of time, just made it very obvious to me that, that Ethereum and, and, and crypto would kind of slowly eat and then, and then very quickly eat a lot of the services and products that you're, you're used to in that context. 
All right, so this is a pretty broad question, but what are your views on cryptocurrencies today, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I don't know any others that you kind of like? And I'd love to hear because you know, obviously, you, you mentioned that Ethereum. You love that you can build products on it, but I just love to hear you know your thoughts on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptos in general. Bitcoin uh, is an incredible technical breakthrough, um, just like absolutely changed the world. You know, I really looked at it from like a distributed systems perspective and like its consensus algorithm. And like that was really fascinating to me. Um, it's been very interesting to watch it, like develop new kind of roles and like how it's supposed to be used and people, you know, it, it's obviously the OG and I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't, I'm not pomp. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not your guy that's going to give you like the, the investment thesis for it other than I just don't think it's going anywhere and it'll continue to play like just an enormous role in the space. But it was Ethereum that captured my imagination. You know, I think I'm fundamentally a technologist and I think where Bitcoin turned me off was just like the inability to really build stuff on top of it and program it and let, and, and, and the ecosystem around Ethereum and even how it's evolved in the past couple of years like that, you know, the fact that there was a real programming language um, and a real EVM and, and these kind of like, you know, core pieces to it like that. That's what brought me into the space. Right. I mean, I needed something to build against and, and, and imagine. And then, you know, even watching Maker, you know, emerge uh, incredible. Right. And, and I think people are really, you know, the fact that there's now over a billion die in circulation from these kind of smart contracts that run on Ethereum like that's that that's incredible. And I remember going to one of my first kind of hackathons at ETH Denver um and like seeing the maker crew and just being like wow like this is the, like just how prescient they were right they were trying to do that even before ethereum so like that that was really when i got into this you know from from there it's I, i'm not really I'm, I, I don't come at this from like an investor perspective necessarily you know i i would say like obviously bitcoin and ethereum are like the lion's share of of, of where attention should be but then moreover i just think like the the, the ecosystem that's emerging out of ethereum you know, I was there for when we kind of coined the term DeFi amongst like a small group of kind of people building the initial the initial kind of protocols came up with that term. And so I, I kind of watched that happen. And, and so like, I obviously believe in DeFi. And then, you know, I think this is where this conversation is going. Like NFTs have had their similar evolution and trajectory. And I'm, I'm really excited about those. So I'm a huge believer, obviously, in the tech. Uh, I don't think your listeners should look to me for like, necessarily like the the like investment advice on which coins and which cryptocurrencies to choose from okay so yeah you're fundamentally a technologist and that makes a ton of sense obviously as your tech background and being a founder as well and so that being the case why have you decided to build a product on ethereum you know which is not super scalable a little bit slow but it's very secure blah blah and why have you not chosen some new sexy fast blockchain from from my perspective you really need to pay heed to network effects um and and in this case you can just look to like javascript right and it it really isn't the best programming language no one thought it was the best programming language i don't even think it's creator brendan ike would think it's the best programming language but it really really met the market where it was at at that time and it served a real purpose and it lodged itself into the ecosystem in a way that you know only only kind of the the pioneer can and I really think like with Ethereum, you know, it's really hard to unlodge the network effects that exist on it, right? The amount of assets, the amount of liquidity, the developer um, ecosystem, 
the roadmap and you know even ETH2, right? Where like there's just this enormous momentum around it. And sure, you can go pick off one or two criteria that that perhaps perform better, but on the whole, you know, you have to look at the ecosystem as a whole. And I just find it very, very difficult to imagine Ethereum's network effect being overcome. I mean, the EVM is is really kind of a pretty unstoppable force at the moment, and and I and I, I really I, I I view the lens through network effects, and I view the world through that way. And I, you know, I, I think there's other blockchains that are doing really interesting things in other domains, but you know, I think if you can follow the money, and you can see like even just like stablecoin issuance and and token issuance on, on Ethereum, and there's nothing that comes even close. Developer adoption, EVM compatibility, developer awareness. I think these are all really, really challenging things to, to kind of circumvent or ignore, and they also compound over time. So every day, week, year that passes, um, these things become stickier. And you know, I can even look at our team. You know, our team is completely map to the EVM, right? You know, that's where all of our tech stack is. And, and it's very, um, it's very hard to want to move that over or incur the cost of moving it over to something else that's not EVM compatible. That makes a ton of sense. It's like not always the best tech wins. It's just like essentially what people use and then that'll kind of take over over time. So yeah, or just even even the comment best tech, you know, from what perspective, right? Totally, totally. Um, and like JavaScript, it was like, well, you know, browsers supported it. Right. So it, might, it didn't have like static type checking that made it like more usable to developers, but it ran in the browser. Right. And other, you know, that, like, so when you get into best tech arguments, you got to remember, like, the answer is really whose perspective and whatever the common denominator is like that actually ends up being the most powerful argument. And, and the people that are usually arguing for best tech in other domains are not appreciating that common denominator. Totally, totally. All right. So what are your general views on NFTs? And, you know, because obviously I've seen this evolution here, you're working for uh, Dharma, and then you kind of moved on to what you're working on today, which is foundation. So I'd love to hear about how did you, you know, first kind of get excited or, you know, how did you first learn about NFTs and how or why do you think that they're exciting? Okay. So Dharma had NFTs in it from day one, like one of the first pieces of code, you know, that I wrote was ERC seven twenty one compliant. Wow. So th I'm not I'm not I'm not new to this by any means. Even though you know Dharma would not describe as like an NFT platform. Right. Um, but you know when we first started working on on Dharma, the issuance agreements between the, it was a kind of a P two P debt protocol, right? And so it actually would in issue a seven twenty one a unique seven twenty one token. To represent the agree the debt agreement between two parties, and so uh, you know, and then Nadav was one of the first people to kind of write a a collateralizer contract that let you collateralize CryptoKitties because CryptoKitties back then was like that was just this huge huge moment right where like the Ethereum blockchain like came to a crawl because people were trying to get in on on CryptoKitties right, um, and so like we we had a we had a contract that accepted. CryptoKitty, you know, 721 tokens as collateral. So this is something I've, I mean, I've almost taken it for granted, right? Where like, they've been like, this has been part of my, like, you know, if, if I'm, a, if I'm a chef, this has been an ingredient that I've had available to me for like, as long as I've been programming in the space. And so, um, 
to me, there's nothing about the NFT standard or NFTs that are surprising. I think the thing that I'm really excited about is just the extent to which they've made their um, their way into the cultural realm, right? Because that that is really what I've been excited about since the beginning of the year. I mean, obviously, I, I wouldn't say it started at the beginning of the year, but it's been my focus in the beginning of the year. And what I've really learned is like, when you really think about all the media getting uploaded to the internet and all the creators creating that media, the 721 standard is is now, especially given that we're so digital first in this kind of kind of crazy year where we're all, you know, essentially trapped in the internet, you can see as people really like, you know, need to develop new revenue streams, encoding scarcity into the media that gets uploaded to the internet is just so, um, it's just so powerful. And it's always been powerful, but you often need kind of cultural societal forces to collide with the technology to really unlock what's possible. I love that. All right, so you know we've touched upon it a few times, but I'd love to hear what is foundation and why is it exciting. So we we bill ourselves as like a crypto cultural platform. You can also throw in the word creator crypto platform. At the highest level, that's what we are, right? We are here, um, and our and our focus has always been like, how do we take culture? How do we take the creators creating that culture, and how do we merge it with crypto to create value? So like that, that, that's like, that's our mission, right? Like that's where, that's our focus. Like everything we've ever done, including every, you know, every kind of iteration of the product you've seen this year has been like just towards that end. And then the really, just really cool thing is we've been met with a reception. And I think this year has been unique, obviously, given the constraints of like how the world's worked this year, we've just been met with just this awesome response where it's like, creators, the cultural sphere is really open to blockchain. Um, and it's really open to new ways of, of thinking about the internet and, and, you know, monetizing and revenue streams. Like this is just front and center right now in this year. Um, and it's been just really fun to play in that. And so why is it interesting? Well, it's like, I think people are awake to the current shortcomings of how the current internet works and they are interested in figuring out new models. And moreover, I think people are needing new models. Um, and that's, I think, why we're, the, why, why we're interesting, because we're playing in this space that is one, both technically novel, but also now culturally necessary and has the attention and interest of, you know, a wide swath of society. And I think that's just like, a, like that, that, that's a magical moment. And, and I think we're just really excited and honored to be playing a role in it. Yeah, it's it's super interesting to see because I obviously I've always like heard and read about you know the people that are on the forefront of stuff in general often are like creative creative types whether they're artists or like hip hop or whatever like you know creative type people. So to see like this creative revolution happen in real time, where you have people creating NFTs, you have people selling physical goods on markets like you know your your own market like Foundation, and um, and it's just so cool to see this kind of like creative renaissance happen right now. And combined with crypto and this like really cool, weird, unique, I don't know, just amazing experience. And uh, I also feel very lucky to be a part of it. You know, I've had this, you know, I've been fortunate now, you know, when I was working at Dharma, the concept of DeFi did not exist. Like, you now read every report on the subject, uh, or like the subject of crypto, and there's a DeFi section, right? It's like, 
it's, 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 it's taken as gospel. And I think the really interesting thing for your listeners to kind of realize is like, just by plugging in right now at this moment in time, like that's the opportunity available to you. And I think people are going to be surprised at like how quickly um, the kind of behaviors and, and kind of um, products they're using become these like wildly viral or like kind of, you know, memes within broader society. And then they actually understand that the world is actually can be shaped. Right. And it doesn't always uh, just continue to work the way it already worked. Like DeFi is going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And I have no doubt about it. And the reason why I, I kind of left that space wasn't for a lack of interest. I was just like, there's an opportunity to kind of go invent new categories. And I think that's really powerful. And even bringing up kind of our interactions with one of our really successful artists, Sarah Zucker, um, I remember we were having an interaction and, and, you know, it's your perennial favorite topic like ETH and DAI and stable coins and how they all relate. And, and, you know, she was just remarking to me, like, you know, she always remembered reading about, you know, new movements and how like, it was always like a historical experience for her. Right. Because it was like, Oh wow. What, did, what would have been like at the Dada movement beginning? Right. Right. And we've kind of watched this like crypto art movement emerge um, and it's like, okay, cool. Like it's no longer academic or historical. Like you're actually living through it. And by you taking action and participating, you're shaping it and changing it. Um, and that's really, really fun and exciting. Okay. So what is the main differentiating factor between foundation and other NFT marketplaces? Oof, Andrew, this is like, this is such a loaded question for me because, you know, I feel like I could rattle off all these differences that we've explored since the beginning of the year. And I would just share the insight with you that where, you know, what we've learned is like, there's a real industry here. Um, and there's some real standards that have been, that have been created that I find fascinating. And, you know, we've, we've gone and tried to innovate on a number of domains. You know, we really brought, um, you know, the bonding curve mechanic into things with using like redeemable tokens that let you redeem the token for a physical item. That was, that was a product that we had. Um, and we were kind of the first to kind of release like a Uniswap like model for creators to issue these tokens that they could, that you could redeem and buy on a bonding curve. You know, we, we did move, we did denominate all of our markets and die a decentralized stable coin. And, and we really kind of wanted the first to do that. And then we also moved to XDAI, which is a side chain for Ethereum that lets you bring DAI into it and transact with almost no transaction costs, right? So gas is basically um, below a penny. And those were like three things that we did this year. And if I were to like kind of weigh in on those, like, you know, in reality, I think like the, the interesting thing is actually more kind of conforming and composing with the existing ecosystem. So in some ways, like, you know, the 721 standard is, is a standard, right? People are accustomed to paying in ETH. And, and, you know, I think like auctions are, are, are really like the prim primary way in which I think you can find price discovery for an NFT. And so a lot of ways, I think a lot of the things that we experimented with, I think they will come down it will absolutely help this, like this team, our team in particular, you know, bring them into reality and other forms down the line. But right now our head is really just participating in the ecosystem in a way that, that actually already makes sense to the people 
accustomed to buying NFTs and participating in auctions and using ETH. And so it's kind of been this interesting year for us to like realize like it's important to choose on what factors you want to innovate. And, you know, in 2021, I think what our real focus is, is like meeting the market more where it's at currently and then layering on some of these innovations that we've have in our back pocket. We've spoken about this previously, but I love that you guys have implemented DAI into the marketplace because I think it's needed to have, you know, especially bringing on new people that are not crypto natives. No one wants to, you know, buy something and have it fluctuate, you know, hundred bucks or 200 bucks in, in value up or down, right? So implementing DAI, huge move. And also on the scalability solution, XDAI, great move as well. So if I'm a creator and I'm coming to foundation, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm an artist and I make some physical works. Plus I want to make some digital works. You mentioned that there's this bonding curve. You know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a big bonding curve expert. I really know like very little about it. So if I wanted to sell 10 pieces of physical artworks, right. And I could choose one type of bonding curve. And then if I wanted to sell 10 NFTs and choose a different type of bonding curve, is that possible? And then also, can you explain like the different bonding curve mechanisms that I can choose for that? Andrew, I would, I would want to make sure you're you're clear on our, our future direction because I would want to treat a lot of those decisions as experiments. And so I think the bonding curves are really, really interesting. Um, but the insight I would share and why I think like, you know, where we're going in 2021, which I think might be, you know, surprising to you as someone who's followed us from, from, from most of 2020 is one, the, the bonding curve is not something we'll probably be doubling down on. We're going to probably, we're going to be moving to an auction format. Um, in 2021, because it allows for, for better price discovery. And right, because on a bonding curve, the, the creator actually has to specify the price range in which their work will trade. And honestly, creators actually don't have a great sense of that. And, you know, if you look at some of the pieces that PAC has sold in these auction formats, they've, they've far outstripped kind of the listing price. And so that's one thing that we want to, we want to implement on. And then, um, you know, I think, I think the physical, you know, I think like Andrew, like I want to, I want to share some of the insights our team has learned. You know, the physical is not is not a it's not where the blockchain I think thrives. And I know that you're going to be familiar with this, but I think like, you know, I really I really think the blockchain is creating the metaverse, and and the metaverse is an inherently digital space. And if you do something physical with a blockchain. As soon as the as soon as you go physical, like there's a there's a severance to the blockchain, right? Where the value is now in the physical world, not in the digital world, and the blockchain can't really track it, and you can't enforce things. Um, and I think that that's something that we really really learned, which is we really wanted physical because we wanted to, we wanted to grow the market, right? And and more people understood physical value. But in reality, what happened this year was we were all inside, right? And the IRL world shut down. And what people what dawned on people was there's actually so much value that's unexplored digitally, and so you know one thing that we're doing and I and I and I, I would make it really you know clear is like we're we're interested in digital NFTs right um, that's what that's what a blockchain can really really do um, natively and that, that that creators can't get elsewhere right and then with physical stuff you know I think there's there's a lot of complexity in, in making something on a blockchain that maps to something physical that, that I think is not necessarily worth the overhead and that, and that existing experiences are better, are better served, uh, our creators are better served by using. So, you know, in the new year, you're going to see, um, big, big, big focus from us on digital NFTs. Um, 
And, and moreover, another point I'd make, and you know, you and I have debated this is like, I totally agree that die is, is preference is preferential in the long run to ensure that you can keep stable pricing. But in reality, we're still onboarding people into the space. And in order to get die, you first need ETH, right? You can't get, you can't transact and die without ETH. How are you going to pay the transaction fees? How are you going to collateralize like a, a CDP on Maker if you don't have ETH? How are you going to go on Uniswap and trade ETH for DAI if you don't have ETH? And so, um, you know, I think this is, again, like I, what I want to do is like bring the lessons from our team to your audience this year of like, I think NFTs and them being digital and them being like kind of key components of the metaverse and building out the metaverse, that's the big unlock. Um, not physical production, that we already have plenty of tools for that. Moreover, I think ETH is the precursor to DAI. DAI comes after you have ETH. And so it makes sense to me that a lot of these markets are still in ETH. Um, and then, and then um, you know, the bonding curves, I think, are, are really interesting, but they are also advanced. Um, and I think a simpler thing, a simpler auction model helps people kind of at least establish early price discovery. And then we can kind of play around with bonding curves in the future. So yeah, that's a lot, um, a lot of lessons in there, a lot of a lot of learning. But I wanted to kind of share that with you. Completely and utterly love all of that. I mean, you're doubling down on NFTs uh, because you know digital is the future. You're going to implement ETH as well as Dai, which I think is a great for people to have the optionality. And then also auction format is is also a great move, just because um, you you were totally correct when you said like. We don't really know how to value this stuff right now because we are in such an early stage that no no one has any idea, right? So we're kind of just like figuring it out. And and what better way to figure that out than an auction? So I, I think that you're hitting it uh, totally on the head there, and and I love that. Amazing, yeah, Angel, that's totally that's totally spot on. Like we don't we don't know, and it's been amazing to see the reception to people like Pax work, um, and the auction format has just done phenomenally well at like really demonstrating the the, the value here, right? I think, a, I think there are some visionary collectors out there that are pushing the space forward. Um, and it's really, you know, it's causing people to wake up and realize, you know, the digital space perhaps is, is far more valuable than, than the physical space. Totally agree. All right. So if I'm a creator or I'm an artist or, you know, yeah, just creative type in general, I'm entering the NFT space. I have like, you know, I got so many options. I can go to Super Rare. I can go to Known Origin. I can go to Nifty Gateway, OpenSea, whatever. What makes Foundation like the, the spot to be at? You know, this is easy for me to answer because I could just kind of tell you about the creators and their response to working with us. But I think with us, you're getting a very one well-designed experience. You know, Matt Vernon is our is our head of design. I think he's arguably the best designer um, in the entire Ethereum space. You know, he'll 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 um, yell at me for that comment because he doesn't like the caveat of the Ethereum space. He just wants to be the best designer. But you know, you're getting you're getting phenomenal design. You can kind of see that you know, could just visit any of our, of our products experiences and like, let me know. But that's, that's really something we care about. And then moreover, I think this team is like, you know, on the engineering side, this, this is, you know, you have years and years and years of, of kind of smart contract experience. So there's really nothing that's kind of out of our realm of technical possibility. And then, and then moreover, like we're, we're the confluence of many factors. We're not just an engineering team. We're not just a design team. We also have a curatorial staff. So, you know, we have a curator on staff who's been in the digital art space for 10 years, you know, and she's, she's actually um, helped seed a lot of the price points for digitally native creators by selling their work 
you know, at like Sotheby's or Christie's or these other auction houses, you know, that have nothing to do with crypto prior to crypto, right? Where, where she really, you know, for, for, for over a decade has seen, you know, digital creation, digital art um, and digital formats as equally valid as painting or sculpture or any of these other fields that like, you know, it's very obvious why you would go to an auction and, and bid on something. And so, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't something that we're just, you know, net new to, right? This team, this team is one interdisciplinary um, and, 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 and in each of our disciplines, we're excellent, right? So engineering, design, and curation. Um, and then, you know, even, even on staff, we have someone who's worked at the Broad um, in LA. So this is a team that, that gets art, gets culture, gets tech, gets design. And I think if you let us kind of mash those things up long enough, I think you, you, you'll, you'll realize that we're building something pretty special and unique. It just kind of, you know, we're, we're only just getting started. And I think, you know, the creators that work with us, you know, feel that, right? And, and when, they, when they interact with us, you know, we've done, we've done a phenomenal profile of just so many of these folks because we can understand where they're coming from. And we also understand their, their experience onboarding into this and what's weird and what's not. And so I think, you know, I would just really encourage you to check out our blog um, and see how we talk about this. I would encourage you to experience the site and see the design. Um, and then also just look at the curation, right? We're, 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 we're choosing the best of the existing like kind of crypto native crowd. And then also, you know, helping onboard new folks, right. Who are already established in, in other domains and bringing them into the space in a way that I think is like very respectful um, and very long-term focused. You hit everything pretty, pretty well there. And uh, I, I do think that Matthew's one of the best um, uh, designers in, in, in the space for sure and possibly outside of the space as well. And uh, also hearing about, you know, your, your kind of development team. Uh, I'm friends with Paul, who is one of your developers. He's an awesome guy and he's been in the, in the Ethereum ecosystem forever. So, you know, got that. But then also Lindsay, she's the curator. You said has like 10 years experience in the traditional art world. So like, I, I wanna maybe don't speak for her, but maybe you can a little bit. I wanna know like, what was her reaction to entering this space? Cause you know, she's used to like, the traditional art world, she knows what's going on there. She has the contacts, the connects, and like just a knowledge base. When she first was entering, you know, NFT art and crypto art stuff, was she like, what is going on? Or was she like, this is amazing? Well, what was her kind of reaction? Well, one, one, Andrew, you got to have her on the podcast yourself. Um, you got to, you got to like, I definitely don't want to speak for her. I would love um, to. I'll, I'll give you my perspective on it, but there's, but I, you know, anyone on the team, they speak for themselves, but you know, for Lindsay, you know, the idea that there's a lot of value in digital art, not controversial, not controversial at all. She's been doing this for, for many, 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 many years. Um, and in fact, what she's really fundamentally excited about is the fact that there's now this internet native mechanism. Because, you know, for her, it was frustrating to have to have artists, you know, tell their collectors or tell the traditional art world or tell auction houses like, you know, this video that was seen by six billion, like, you know, three billion people or whatever these, you know, crazy metrics are for, for work that is digital and how fast it can travel and how many people can view it. You know, the idea that that has value and that should be valued, you know, it's just frustrating to even have to have that conversation. And I think, you know, they've had to put, you know, videos on USB drives to, to and, then, and then make the USB drive a physically interesting kind of artifact, right? To kind of trigger the collector mindset of like, oh, this is why I want to own this, right? 
um, which just doesn't, it's not digitally native. It's not internet native, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't conform to the medium itself. And so I think for her, NFTs make perfect sense. And, and in fact, it's just like, great, like we have this new format. This is wonderful. We have so many incredible pieces that are digitally native, like let's do this. And I think that, you know, for her, it's just like, let's get, let's evolve the crypto space, right? Like let's get, you know, there's parts of it that are a little, you know, primitive or antagonistic or tribal. I don't think, you know, those are the things that resonate for her. It's much more of like, how do we take this incredible new technology that obviates, right? And makes it easy and obvious why this digital work is valuable and, and allows people to, to achieve that value. Like, I think it, it's really inevitable in her opinion. And I think that's really exciting. It's not like we're starting from, there's no one on our team that's like, you know, subscribes to the, but you can copy and paste it, right? Like that's not where we're starting from. Um, we're starting from a deep, deep understanding of like why digital work is valuable. And we're here just to make sure it, it, it happens and it happens in the kind of most elegant, you know, profound way possible. That's awesome. All right. So in your opinion, what are some of the most important factors for, uh, for when you're creating digital pieces of, of art or just kind of NFTs in general? So I think you can look to, to pack as an example here where, you know, there's a, there's a digitally native audience, you know, there's a very large Twitter following. There's context shared on social media um, that allows you to appreciate it. And then you also have a creator who does understand the internet as a medium. You know, I, I, I don't think it's uh, at all surprising or shocking that pack is kind of a leading voice in the space. Like the, um, you know, there's just, just their reputation and their long track record of, of pushing digital boundaries makes perfect sense to me that they would come in and, and actually really open up what's possible with NFTs. And, and I just think there's so many more voices to come on that front. Um, other than I don't think like, you know, one thing with, with in crypto is I think everyone thinks everything has to be new. Um, and in reality, I don't think that's true. I think like just, just like in the, how in the existing art world, you need to, you need to build networks. You need to build a collector base. You need to be, you need to be kind of telling the story of your work. Your work needs to be, you know, novel and, and, you know, I even think other artists recognizing it as forward thinking and, and pushing boundaries, you know, all of those, you know, contribute to excellent work. And, and so I don't think it's a completely new algorithm that now needs to be invented to value these things. I think just similarly to the existing art world, you know, the extent to which it shapes and influences culture and others um, and the, the extent to which others can recognize that and tell that story, you know, that all contributes value. I think the really, you know, novel thing here is like, instead of the collector being able to hoard it and really kind of preventing access to it, in this case, you have, you have something that can be really, really, really appreciated by the internet, right? None of PAX pieces are like locked away you know, in a, in a storage unit somewhere, like they are, they belong to the internet, they can travel on the internet. And in fact, the collectors is benefiting from that. And so I think that's the interesting new element to this, which is it goes into the public domain. It's not lost to a private collector's kind of storage um, unit. And, 
And in fact, there's a symbiotic relationship between it traveling and being understood and more understood. That's the new thing. I don't, I don't think the way in which work is valued or the way in which work is, is considered excellent is new. That's super cool. Yeah, I, that's a really, really good point because I'm a huge believer that a lot of a lot of what drives value in the crypto art space and the uh, NFT collectible space is the narrative around the asset. Like, you know, what is the story around this stuff? What is the story around the artist, et cetera? And that's so cool. You mentioned like the in the physical realm, you have a collector who buys something, maybe puts it in their home, and that story for that piece is kind of like locked away. Like you can't really... Andrew, you're lucky, you know, in a lot of cases, you're lucky if it gets to be in their home. A lot of these cases, right. it's in like, a, it's in a storage unit somewhere exactly. you know, being preserved. Right, right. Because like during that time when that piece of art is locked away in the storage unit, it's, it's stories kind of on pause, right? You don't, you know, it's kind of on hold and no one can really experience that and enjoy that piece. But as you mentioned, like with NFT art, it's all visible. It's all native to the internet. It's, it's within this realm. And the story is like, constantly evolving, constantly moving and, and expanding, which I think is just super exciting. I, I never thought about that. I, re, I really love that point. Yes. I mean, I think that's that's the mo- that's one of the most profound points of this movement. And I think that's why these artists need a digitally native medium because they, they are engaging in a different context. This isn't the physical realm. And, and I think this goes back to some of our earlier points from our conversation where, you know, this is this is this is why the metaverse and why digital is is so exciting and there's so much more possibility in it. All right. So if you could give some advice to artists and creators that, you know, want to enter the space or have already entered the space, um, what advice would you give them for, you know, for their kind of digital works that they're creating? Like, what should they do more of? You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to comment on the actual work that's up to the artist. I think I think the, the few words of advice that I would offer would be mostly around just patience and and developing an online audience and really building a collector base thoughtfully and not you know and i think this is just true in general because you know you can just look at the ico boom and i i, I even think sometimes we might be going through an nft boom is like there's always like in both cases there's a there there but if you rush it and you you kind of go in you go in with a gold rush mentality I, I just feel like you're going to, one, you're either going to burn out or your collectors are going to burn out. And and I don't see how it becomes sustainable versus if you really take the time to understand the technology and you take the time to cultivate stories and you take the time to cultivate an audience that's engaged um, and the stories engage over and evolve over a period of time, that to me is a recipe for success. You know, I think flooding the market with pieces and and really kind of just over optimizing for the immediate moment doesn't feel right because in a lot of ways the NFT space is just getting started. You know, it's it's really in its infancy, um, and a lot of people are just you know, Pack only really showed up this year, right? I think people forget that, um, and in, in reality, only over the summer did he really start to um, even be known. You know, that's, that's kind of when he came on my radar. And so I, I think it's just patience and, and discipline and not getting lost um, in the kind of cycle, right? Because there might be a phase in which the, the energy dies down, right? And you need to be kind of committed to the practice over the long run. And, you know, that's just true with any creative endeavor. That's how I think about running the company as well. I love that. No, I, I think that that is absolutely the correct advice. It's like, you truly have to be passionate about this stuff 
And if you're passionate about it, then you don't need to worry about you know the next week or the next next day. You're really thinking ten years ten years in the future. And that's how you know if you're in the space, that's probably how you should be thinking anyway. So I I, I love that advice. So do you guys have any new um, features that you're working on or new product releases that you're you're you know going to launch soon that you can you, you want to talk about? In January, we are launching an entirely revamped experience. It's going to live on Ethereum. It's going to compose and work with the entire existing NFT ecosystem. The bidding system will be entirely auction-based. Um, so, so creators will be running reserve auctions where they set a price. And if that price is hit, it triggers a, a, a countdown to when the auction will close. And we will be working with an even larger group of artists in January for our second collection, after which the system will largely be kind of open um, to applications and we will accept them on a rolling basis. This is a pretty big moment for us because we've been largely in beta um, on the creator side for all of 2020, really working with very, very specific people in a very kind of custom way. But in 2021, we're hoping that the, the version we launched in January just becomes the, the basis of foundation for the foreseeable future. That's awesome. All right, what is the grand vision for foundation? You know, I would love... Not, not that I want you to come up with a vision for us, because we obviously we obviously have one, but I do think it's very coupled to this metaverse um, concept. And for us, you know, it's really re-architecting the internet in a way that people are paid directly for their work um, and the quality of the work and the quality of their impact, and not on these proxies, right? So I think the internet right now suffers from the fact that it's very difficult to, to monetize the immediate content. And that's why you see all these business models and experiences that are like considered parasitic, right? Or taking away from the experience. And so if we can get to the point where, you know, people creating content and, you know, really basically building the metaverse, they can actually engage in an economy where they're being compensated for their work directly. That's just gonna produce a much healthier ecosystem and a much healthier internet. And I wouldn't be, really surprised if and you know I, I might be off by the time by by time but not by nature which is that i just think that we're we're success foundation is successful if the if, if the internet itself is kind of re-architected around um these new models right and nfts have a big 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 part to play in that and and i think that's what we're excited about and so i would actually even throw it over to you andrew which is like i know you're excited about the metaverse it's it feels really early. I mean, I, I do talk to a lot of people um, and I'm really more often than not even explaining the concept of a metaverse, never mind asking them what they think, like what they think their version of it is. And so I would love to throw that over to you as well. It's like, you know, how does, how does this kind of new, new internet, this new, you know, metaverse where we all kind of control our identity and our, and our funds and our, our, our kind of content and media, you know how do how do you see it? Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a really big question. I do think that NFTs and blockchains specifically they they're basically the the key to the metaverse emerging. But you know, as you mentioned, it's we're far very far away. Like for that actual Ready Player One type vision, like fifty to one hundred years away. But what we are in now, again, we're just at the very very start of this. Is this like creative renaissance? that I think is gonna just blow everything out of the water comparatively. Like I think the most famous creative period in time is probably like the Italian Renaissance, right? Whenever it was making beautiful things and beautiful paintings and sculptures and whatnot. And that was like 
limited to you know Europe and uh, creatives in that region, right? But now we have you know the world population is way bigger, and now suddenly there's a lot of people on the internet, so the the creative population is much 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 larger. And you're not limited to a certain area in Europe. It's people in in China, people in South America, people in America, et cetera, et cetera, right? And on top of that, they have total control over their destiny. So they can they don't have to go through a gallery. They don't have to go through like an agent. They can build something, whatever they want, whatever digital good, and they can go on this on these marketplaces like Foundation and just kind of reach out to collectors, reach out to you know enthusiasts, and 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 sell their goods and earn income for for their creative work. So like. We are in like the biggest renaissance period of, of creativity and artwork and, and stuff like that, like ever. And I think that we're going to look back at this time in 10 years, 20 years, who knows what, and we're going to say, oh my gosh, like, can you imagine like being there at that time? It was just incredible, right? So anyways, obviously very optimistic about where we're headed and, and, and where this is all going. But um, I really do think that today we're in the creative renaissance that the world's never seen before. Incredible. And, and, I, and I know your energy there is very authentic because every interaction we've had that has been consistent. Awesome, man. All right, let's jump into the closing questions. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? So my, I, I do have a piece. Um, it's from one of our, our creators, Sirwa Atufa. Uh, I might be mispronouncing her last name. Um, but my name in Persian actually means Saturn. Uh, and I have a very strong affinity for the planet. And she produced this piece for our kind of inaugural collection that has her, you know, in this really kind of just very elegant uh, design, kind of surrounded by the planets. And Saturn is just very beautifully rendered in that um, and just really caught my attention. And she's just like an incredibly self-taught um, digital artist uh, who was recently featured in, in, in Vogue Italy, Italia. And it just really, it, it, it just speaks to me. And it's just incredible. You know, she's from Western Sydney. And it goes to your point around, you know, we're being in this creative renaissance. There's no, um, there's really no physical connection to our experience where you like are different continents um, and different backgrounds. And I just, it's really amazing to be able to see her work. Um, she's very young. She's quite prolific. Um, I'm very, very excited to see where she goes. Um, and I really love having this piece from her, her first NFT. Um, and it just prominently features kind of Saturn, which I just have a strong connection to. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes so much sense that uh, your connection with Saturn, because I, I was looking at your Twitter handle. Whenever we talk, I always look at it and I was like, why does it have Saturn in, in the name? I, I never, I was like, does Kayvon like mean Saturn? Like, I, you know, and, and so that makes a ton of sense. That's cool. Yeah, you got that. that if, if anyone on the, if, if anyone's wondering why, why there's a strong Saturn motif, it's kind of like, that's, that's, I think it's a very beautiful planet. And then I, I do like, you know, I think some, some kids like hate the names their parents give them. I, I, I turned out to be quite lucky and quite like mine. That's awesome. All right, what is something that you'd like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the NFT ecosystem? I am very excited for the, I think right now everyone's just like over the moon around the fact that like this is their early and they're kind of, you know, they're like, and I think this is crypto more broadly, but they're waiting for the institutions, right? They're like, oh, we're early and like, you know, where's MoMA, where's the Whitney? Like I'm collecting NFTs and like, you know, I'm waiting for this kind of institutional credibility. Um, and I just think it's going to be very interesting. And I don't think we're too far from it where, you know, the the existing markets kind of just co-opt or not, you know, kind of become part of the NFT ecosystem. I just think it's that powerful of a technology. And so in some ways, I would love to see 
I, you know, not that I think there's antagonism, but I think it's going to be very fun in the coming year and years to just kind of collaborate with the existing institutions, right? Um, how cool is it going to be see to see NFTs at the moment, right? Um, and I really have no antagonism towards the existing world. I just think the one that we're building here is just filled with so much more possibility. And I really just invite them to come and, and explore it with us and also help grow it. Right. And, and I think they're going to be a big part of this. And I can imagine many museums in Chicago, Andrew, where you probably go is like, how awesome is it going to be to see them, you know, really just show the NFT, right. As like, as part of the experience and, and that being just, that's just how it works. Right. And not even being like controversial, similar to how I think people in the nineties would be shocked at like how pervasive the internet is right now. Love that answer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the day I see an NFT in a museum in Chicago, I'll I'll freak out. I'll be so happy. That would be that'd be amazing. All right, what are the largest barriers to adoption in the NFT space? There are unfortunately a number, so I don't know which ones are the largest. But there is what I found is that there is this there is a high kind of mental model barrier where you do need to understand certain things, like why you have a wallet and how gas works and transactions and mining and you know i think it'll become somewhat similar to how we do have http and urls and domains and we all kind of know how to use it even though we might not all understand the underlying machinery i think that's something similar but it it really does still take a while and i think there's enough motivation enough of an ecosystem and enough money at stake that people are kind of jumping through those hoops but you know we're still you know in a lot of cases walking people through the basics, right? And getting them set up with wallets. Um, and, you know, I think you've seen us this year try to throw out a bunch of experiments where we're trying to reduce those barriers um, and, and offer options that hopefully make it easier. But honestly, Andrew, what I've found is when you try to abstract or make it easier, you actually kind of also really block people from the magic, right? And the power is being able to sign your own work with your own address and to hold your own funds and not, not depend on, on waiting for someone to pay out or, or do something for you. Um, and, 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 you know, that does require, that does require you to like intellectually engage with what the space is and what the technology does. And that, that, you know, that, that's asking a lot and it'll become more and more and more pervasive, but we're still in the phase where, there's a lot of people yelling a lot of words that are not super accessible um, and it can be a turnoff. And I think we just need to make sure that it's a very friendly, you know, space and we're patient, we're helping people and we're, we're making sure they're also set up in, a, in the right way. And we're not taking half steps that, that kind of leave people actually without the ability to control their own data or, or move their funds at their own kind of um, desires. All right. Where do you see the world of NFTs in three years? I think that the everything you're seeing right now is just more evolved. Um, so, you know, you're going to see much, much, much more established artists. You're going to see much larger collector bases. You're going to see a secondary market that right now I think is very underdeveloped um, become developed as kind of people do establish collections and actually realize these things are assets and that they can see appreciation and I think that and then also moreover the fact that artists are given a cut that's just going to create this feedback loop that'll just sustain the space um, in whole new ways 
I think you're going to see the primitive kind of metaverse spaces that, that you can show off your NFTs in evolve and grow. I think you'll have more experiences on the internet that are able to identify your collections and your tastes based on your wallet. And so you, you're going to see, you know, I don't think three years it'll be the full kind of re-architecture of the internet that we all know is inevitable with, with this sort of tech. Um, but it'll make big strides, right? And I think you'll you'll start to kind of see consumers expect to be able to bring their data with them to different experiences and bring their NFTs with them uh, and, and be in control of it. And moreover, I think you're going to see creators expect kind of control over their own work and not feel locked into platforms and not feel like they have to conform to, to constraints that just don't make sense in the Web3 context. So three years Revolution won't be finished by any means, but will it be further along? And will a lot of the things we're talking about right now seem a lot less crazy and a lot more commonplace? I think so. Awesome. I love that. All right, man. Well, Kayvon, this has just been an absolute pleasure. It's, it's always amazing getting to chat with you. You're you're always like uh, 10 steps ahead of me, I feel like, and and you're really eloquent and, and philosophical in, in your thoughts. And I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, and, and it shows in, in what you're building. You're building this incredible product with this, with this amazing team. And I'm just so excited for, for, you know, yourself and also the future uh, of foundation. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, if people want to find out more about foundation, maybe check it out, um, maybe talk to you, where should they go and what, what should they do? On Twitter, we are with FND and our URL foundation.app and on Instagram with foundation and on Twitter, you can find me at Saturnial. There's the Saturn part again. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from you. And then we also have a discord. Uh, foundation, a foundation discord that you can get through to through VR site. And I really urge you to join the community. Um, you know, we are still closed. So, you know, it's not it's not a open platform yet, but we will be making big strides in 2021 to get there. Um, but there is a really great community around us. You're a part of that. And Andrew, I just return the, the kind words. Uh, I enjoy talking with you um, every time and you're actually always been pushing me to kind of understand what what's actually already happened in the space and why I should why I should care about it or why it's important and I really owe you a lot this year from from all so unfortunately Kayvon's audio somehow cut off there but he basically just said some super nice things about me and said how he was looking forward to our continued collaboration <laughs> thank you man that means a ton to me so I appreciate that a lot all right man well this has just been amazing and I cannot wait to have you on again in 2021 and, and you see how far you've made a uh, foundation come. Hey everyone, stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.